0: Okay, we're in Galatians 4. Going to start in verse 19, and we're going to actually go into the next chapter and end on verse 1, because I think it ends better that way. So starting in, starting in Galatians 4, verse 19. My children, with who I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I could wish to be present with you Now, and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who are to be under the law, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking. For these women are two covenants, one proceeding from the Mount Sinai bearing... Children who are to be slaves, she is Hagar. Now, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But with the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than one. Than of the one who has a husband and you brethren like Isaac are children of promise But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit So it is now also But what does the scripture say cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman So then brethren we are not children of a bondwoman But of the free woman It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this word. I pray now as we study it together that you would open our eyes to see you, to see the truth in your word. Help us to understand what it means to be free in you and how legalism affects that. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the sermon title is, Will You Choose Freedom or Bondage? In the first verse, 19, Paul has this strange phrase where he says, I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Kind of a strange phrase, but it wasn't then. It was common then to use labor pains as a metaphor for being eagerly and anxiously waiting for something. That's in your notes. Being in labor is a common metaphor to describe for eagerly and anxiously waiting for something. For example, in Romans 8, Paul wrote, The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. And it says in verse 21, The creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption. And so the whole creation, in Romans 8, verse 22, the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. And we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons. So there Paul again uses this term, labor pains, to describe anxiously and eagerly awaiting for something. And so in this passage, Paul is saying, I am anxiously and eagerly, or eagerly and anxiously awaiting Christ being formed in you. Does that mean that Christ used to be formed in them, and He's not formed in them anymore? Is Paul talking about maybe they've lost their salvation, and so now he's eagerly waiting for Christ to again be formed in them? No, he's not saying for Christ again to be formed in you, but he is saying, I am in labor again waiting for this. But what he's talking about Um, Barnes puts it a different way, this commentary by Barnes, until Christ reigns holy in your hearts. The theological term for this is sanctification. Have you all heard the word sanctification? Sanctification refers to the ongoing, lifelong process of becoming more like Christ and less like the world. And here Paul calls it Christ being formed in you. And so he desires the church in Galatia to make progress in this. He's, he's again, he thought they were in a certain place spiritually. They're not really there. Now they've been giving in to false teaching. So now again he has this anxious and eager longing to see the fruition of this, to see the fulfillment of this, to see them say, like he said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what it looks like when Christ is fully formed in you, when you can say, it's no longer me living, it's Christ living in me, and I no longer have my own desires, my own ambitions, my own needs. It's all about Christ and what he wants for my life. Paul saying, I eagerly desire that for you. And I also eagerly desire that for you and for myself, because I also have not arrived, but we, all, we should all desire to see Christ fully formed in us, or like Barnes says, to see Christ to, wholly reigning in our hearts. So in verse 20, Paul says, I wish I could be present with you and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Or the King James says, I stand in doubt of you. Or many others say something like, I'm puzzled by you. Or, I don't know what to do with you. All those are are legitimate. Paul's saying, basically, I wish you could be present to discuss these things. I'm not really sure where you're at, but I feel like if if you could see me and and hear my tone, we could talk this out. We could resolve this quicker. There's something to consider uh, for us in these couple of verses. When these churches went astray, Paul could have reacted in different ways. I mean, they went deeply astray. They're now believing a, tr- a truly false gospel, a complete false gospel. That's what they're trying to follow now by believing that you have to have works to gain right. It's a completely false gospel. He could have reacted in many ways. He could have given up. And you'll hear many people do this with a church. Well, you know, I'm going to invest more of my time where I'm seeing more fruit. This thing didn't work, so I'm just going to go over here now. He could have said, well, I guess they were never saved, and just moved on. He could have mocked their ignorance. What kind of fools are you, believe? I thought you were better than that. He could have forgotten about them, but instead, the reaction Paul had was this reignited a fire in him to see Christ fully formed in them. So let's consider Paul's example in how we think and feel about those that have wandered away from the faith, because we all have those that we used to think were close to God, but now they're not walking like they should, and you know they aren't. How do you react to that? Do you just forget about them? Think maybe they're not saved, and just don't worry about it, pray for them, whatever. Whatever walk away because you can't get your good fellowship there anymore, and so you're just going to kind of leave them alone and spend more time over here? Or do you keep reaching out? Now imagine that you are trying to talk with that person about how they're no longer living how they should, and they're not maybe going to church, they're not in fellowship, they're not reading their Bible, they're not really walking with God. The way you approach that, you can approach it judgmentally, you know, where they think that you're judging them or you think you're better than them, Or they can see in your face and your eyes that what you're desiring is for Christ to be formed in them. That you desire to see them fully given over to God again. You desire them to be restored. And when you have that heart towards them, then when you're talking to them about their life and where they're at, they're not going to feel judged or condemned. They're going to feel loved. Like you have something with God and you want so bad for them to have it. And that's how Paul is towards these churches. So now Paul, verse 21, says, Tell me, you who are under the law, don't you listen to the law? So he's beginning with a challenge. And it's neat that he's using the law to make this challenge. There's a commentary by uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. Pretty popular, if you haven't heard of it. Um, he says, perhaps, this reason, uh, perhaps his reason for using this allegory from the law was to confute the Judaizers with their own weapons. So it was these Judaizers, these, these Christian Jews who now believed you had to fulfill the law to be righteous. They were the ones that were causing this problem. So now he's saying, okay, you say you know the law. Don't you listen to the law? So he's going to begin to use this allegory based on that. As a side note, when you're talking with someone about your faith, and they have different beliefs than yours, it's really helpful to know what their beliefs are, to be able to speak from a place of knowledge about what they believe. Because not only do you have a chance to show them perhaps some of the flaws in their own belief system, but it also gives you credibility because you took time to actually know what they believed. So just examples, um, earlier in my life, around high school and a bit after that, I, for some reason, spent a lot of time with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. I had friends that were in both of these uh, different cults. Even going to Germany, it's like they followed me. I was meeting with them there too. uh, With the Jehovah's Witnesses, they um, don't believe, for example, among other things, they don't believe Jesus is God. And they actually have their own Bible. They've retranslated the Bible because they wanted to take, well, I'm not going to claim their motives, but what the translation does is takes out or changes many of the important verses that prove Jesus is God and changes them. So John 1, verse 1, instead of saying the Word was God, it says the Word was a God which doesn't really help things because now we have more than one God, but that's what they did. But that's not enough because you can actually still prove the Trinity from their Bible using other passages. It's, just a little, it's more tricky, but you can do it. And so I've got a New World Translation and I've got those parts highlighted so when they come to the door, I can pull out theirs and I can show them in their own Bible where Jesus is God. Just for example, the, the Mormons, the Latter-day Saints, They say they believe the Bible, but only the King James. And even then, if it disagrees with them, it wasn't translated correctly. But still, when you're sharing with a Mormon, it's helpful to share from a King James Bible because they'll respect it more. But even if they then deny that and say, well, that wasn't translated correctly, you can go to their own Book of Mormon and you can prove the Trinity in the Book of Mormon. And I, and I have that. I've got the Book of Mormon and I've got it highlighted with my notes so I can prove. So it, and it, it's, when, you, when you meet with these people and you can bring out their own books, what it shows them is you respect them enough to have learned what they believe. Not only that, but they're going to feel a lot more awkward not taking material you want to give them because they're handing it out, but they're not allowed to take it. Did you know that? They're not allowed to take your material and read it. They're prohibited from doing that. So, But by you doing it, you're being an example. So point being, Paul uses the law to refute those who claim to be following the law because that's going to be probably the most effective for them. So that's what he's doing here. So he begins in verse 22 with this kind of complicated allegory. Starting in verse 22, Abram had two sons, one by the bondwoman, Hagar, one by the free woman, his wife, Sarah. The son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, but the son of the free woman, Hager, or Sarah, was according to the promise. Then he says, this is allegorically speaking, these are two covenants. One from Mount Sinai and one from the Jerusalem. Above, which is we'll mention later on. But just looking at these few verses, you may know the story about Abraham. And if you're not, I'll tell you real quick. Abraham was given a promise that he would become a great nation and bless the world. And then he got really old. And his wife was really old, and it wasn't happening, and they had no children, and so Sarah had this great idea: just go into our servant Hagar and have a son by her, and then that's that'll be God's promise. So they did that. Um, Hagar had a son, and then that really just damaged the whole relationship between Hagar and them. The son even began mocking them, and so they were sent away. Hagar and her son were sent away. Very tragic story. Hagar had no, really had no choice in any of this. So she's feeling pretty desperate, and God graciously meets her, gives her a special blessing, but then says to Abraham, this is not what I planned for you. I'm still going to give you a son that's according to my promise. His name will be Isaac, and he'll be the son of promise. So Hagar and her son were treated badly, and they were cast out and persecuted what Paul's saying here about that in this illustration is that that's kind of like being in bondage of the, under the law. First he says Hagar's children are like the Israelites at Mount Sinai under that first covenant who received the law, and then he goes further saying they're also like the present-day Jerusalem which was under the law of uh, under the bondage of Rome. So what's the the connection between these things between Hagar and Ishmael her son? and Mount Sinai, and current-day Jerusalem, well, they all represent bondage. Hagar was a slave. She wasn't free. She had no choice in this matter, and as a result, she was cast out. When things got rough between them, she was not equal with Sarah, and so she was the one that got cast out because she wasn't of the family. In the same way, Jerusalem, at the time of this writing, was under bondage with Rome. The Jews were not Romans, so in that sense they were second-class citizens. They could only do as Rome allowed. So then, in the same way, when the Israelites were given the law, the law was God's holy standard, and it was ever meant to be do this perfectly and then we're going to be good. Like Paul says in Romans, it was intended to show us our sinfulness. And he even mentioned that in Galatians, that the law was intended to show us our sinfulness, to show us that we could not save ourselves and we needed a Savior. And so in the meantime, as they tried following the law, it was in a sense bondage. And Paul, in the last chapter, or earlier in this chapter, even was talking about how that's kind of like children who need a tutor still. They aren't free to do what they want as they're growing up. That's kind of what it was like being in bondage. And so he's basically saying those that missed that point about the law, who think they can obey the law perfectly and earn their own righteousness, they're missing out on the promise. So they're missing out on the promise, which means they're still in bondage. They're like Ishmael, who was cast out. They're like Jerusalem, who's in bondage to Rome. They're like second class citizens. They're like slaves and not children. They're in bondage and not free. That's the point Paul's making. So in your notes, legalism is just kind of defining it here. Legalism is when you think you can earn your way to heaven by obeying God's law perfectly on your own. That's what legalism is. And the biggest problem with legalism is you can't do it. But the second thing it does is legalism keeps you distant from God. Remember in Exodus... Moses went alone to the mountain and the people stayed far away and they saw this cloud and these lightnings and these thunderings and they were like, Moses, you go up. We're going to stay back out here. You'll And when you follow legalism, you're going to see God as master but not as father. You're going to feel bound to works to please a master. You're not going to feel accepted As a loving father would accept you. When you're bound to the law, you're a slave to the law. When you're bound to faith in Christ, you're a child of God, free, accepted. So in verse 26, Paul says, The Jerusalem above is free, she is our mother. So Paul contrasts that with the freedom we have in Christ. Unlike the Jerusalem below, which is in bondage to Rome, the Jerusalem above is free. Now, the Jerusalem above, this has special meaning among the Jews. We've kind of lost some of that, unfortunately, in our um, Protestant, Western, Christian culture. But Jerusalem was always the center of the kingdom. right? You never go over to Jerusalem. You never go down to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem in the Bible. Wherever you're standing from Jerusalem was their, their center. It was the center of their entire kingdom, and the Jews also had a belief that there was a heavenly Jerusalem, which was above the earth, a gorgeous city suspended in midair, also referred to as the Messianic kingdom. Interestingly, when Jesus came, He said, I am a king. My kingdom is not of this world. He also said in John 14 and 16 that, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for you that when I come back to get you, you can go to me where I'm at in this, this kingdom, basically. Hebrews twelve verse twenty two mentions how we as Christians have access to God, and it describes that we have come to this holy city of the living God, a heavenly Jerusalem. It says in Hebrews twelve twenty two, this heavenly city. Also in Revelation twenty one two, when the new heaven and new earth are created, it mentions Jerusalem coming down to this new earth. So Paul's referring to this idea of we're part of this heavenly citizenship now that's invisible but here. The kingdom of God has come. It's invisible but it's here. We're part of it. And it is also going to come eventually physically in Revelations. It will come physically. But we are part of that now, this new kingdom, and it's free because we are saved by grace through faith. We don't don't have to earn it. We can't lose it. It's given us, we're, we're accepted as children of God, it's free. And, there, and we're all part of it. And there's one more thing of this analogy he's going to mention. In verse 29 he says, At that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So it is now also. So he's talking about when Ishmael was mocking. In Genesis 21 verse 9, When Ishmael grew, Sarah saw him mocking. So Paul says that kind of mocking is happening now as well. And it's happening, again, if you're if you're following the metaphor here, Ishmael and modern-day Jerusalem and Mount Sinai, those were all representations of, of the law, or the Judaizers that were saying you've got to follow the law. So now they're the ones mocking the simple faith we have in Christ. That we can just believe. And this was a big stumbling block for the Jews because. They had lived their entire lives like they had to do all these things and also these Gentiles are getting saved and they've done bad their whole life and all they got to do is believe and now it's just, they're just like equal with us and Paul says yes. So these Judaizers would mock that. But what does the scripture say? Galatians 4.30 Cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So Abraham and Sarah tried to do things in their own flesh. And God said, cast that out. That is not part of my promise. And Paul is saying here, what that means for now with those legalistic Judaizers is cast them out. These were not people that should be allowed to remain in the church. So I want to say this boldly. Those that believe you have to earn your salvation are not welcome in church unless they get rid of that doctrine and believe in faith. Salvation by faith alone is the most fundamental thing about Christian faith. It's all Christ's work. It's not our work. We cannot earn it. And Paul's saying here, cast that out. Those Judaizers, those people that believed that you had to follow the law in order to become righteous, cast them out. And so then Paul concludes this analogy in verse 31. So then, brethren... We are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So Paul, through this analogy, is asking the question: Do you want to be under legalism or liberty? Do you want to be a slave or a child of God? And the real question Paul's asking here is, will you choose freedom or bondage? And so, like the the thing that Eric did for the kids beforehand. When you're in war, do, do you kids know this? When you sign up to go to war, then you're bound to that. If you go overseas and you're in a war, you're going to have bad days and you can't decide to go home that day. If you end up get, getting home or leaving to go home, you have what they call dishonorable discharge, which is not a good thing. But you can't decide one day, this is not fun anymore, I want to go home. You are bound there. And so, to Eric's point, you wouldn't choose that unless you really had to. No one wants to go hang out in a muddy, dirty, cold bunker where your friends are all dying unless there's a really good reason, right? Not just for fun. And so the point Paul's making here is you're already free. Salvation is free. He's given it to you for free. Why would you willingly put yourself back into bondage for that? So legalism, you know, doing things in your own strength, trying to earn favor from God, you've already been accepted. And what a great thing that is, the fact that we are accepted by God. That shouldn't cause us to be lazy in our walk with God. It shouldn't cause us to to just do whatever we want. Because those that have really experienced the love of God, they're not going to take it for granted. They're going to say like it was said in 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Just the amazingness of like, can you believe the amazing love the Father has given to us that He calls us children just by faith? We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it, but we have it. And so let's not willingly put ourselves back into bondage. It's not needed. We're free. Free to serve Christ. Free from our sin. Free from the judgment Free to live for Him.